to counteract like a negative thought, you have to say like seven like positive thoughts or something to almost like equal out like the balance or like to balance it out pretty much. Like it's crazy how the negative weighs so much more in our minds than a positive thing does. Yeah, that's that's actually crazy. I've not I haven't heard that last part. What you said about you having to say seven things. That's mm-hmm. that's that's really cool. And I'm sure that's very true because I can allow a negative thought to carry on so much longer in my day than a positive thought does. Yeah. My name is Andrew Smith. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Successful Smitty Podcast. I got an awesome guest here today. His name is Jeremy Cody. He is a three-time high school state champion in the high jump, 4 by 100 meter relay, and also in football. And he also helped lead his basketball team to the CHSA Final Four in 2017 and 2018. He's currently majoring in sociology with a minor in business, and he plans to graduate um, May in 2023, so coming up here pretty soon. And he's going to be furthering his education, which is pretty exciting. He's the number six all-time for indoor high jump at CU Boulder and also the number number nine all-time for outdoor high jump at CU Boulder. And he's tied for fifth for all-time for the indoor high jump at ASU and also tied for ninth all-time for outdoor high jump at ASU. He's very highly motivated and disciplined student athlete with a strong track record of achievement in both academics and athletics. He's skilled in motivating and leading others as well as de-escalating situations and finding positive solutions. And he's seeking a role in investment banking and finance where he can utilize his strong customer service and problem solving skills. So Jeremy, welcome to the podcast, man. Happy to have you. Thanks, Miniman. Thanks for having me on here. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to get down to it today. Awesome. So yeah, man, tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, just kind of like, how, how'd you get started with everything? Like where, where did everything start for you? Yeah, man. I mean, everything started from my track career. You know, it goes all the way back to those pre-K days. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in Colorado in this town. It's called Pueblo, Southern Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I I was there for the first 20 years of my life. I attended the University of Colorado Boulder um, my first three years of college as that's where I got recruited out of high school to do track and field. Um, And then after that COVID happened, I transferred to ASU. Um, so I've had, I've had quite the journey, but when it comes to like track and stuff, you know, it's been something that I've been doing my whole entire life, basically. Like I'm sure a lot of people know about like the YMCA camps and stuff that puts mm-hmm. on. I remember my first memory of track was doing that at my local high school, Pueblo South. And I won the high jump, I think, or I tied with one of my uh, childhood friends. Um, so it's like from that, like I can pinpoint that's kind of where my journey started to land me where I am right now. That's awesome. But so, uh, you, so you said you started track like since you were a kid, and then once you got into college, how did you end up going to ASU? Like, did were you planning on transferring, or did they reach out to you, or like how did that whole process happen? Yeah, I didn't necessarily plan on transferring, uh, but. Once COVID happened, you know, that year off, I kind of had a lot of time to reflect and kind of just sit back and see what life was like, not as a student athlete, but just as a student, I guess you Mm -hmm. could say. And then to be honest with you, I wasn't the best student. My grades were kind of subpar or whatever. And 
I was like, okay, I've taken all this time off the track. I'm not really fully invested in it as I would like to be. So I'm going to try to get a fresh start. I'm going to hop in the transfer portal. And that was in the spring of my junior year of college, which would have been two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and how I ended up at ASU, I'm really not too sure, to be honest <laughs> with you. I, I had a 214 meter PR when I went to the portal, which is seven foot and a quarter for those that don't know meters. Uh, so I had a good uh, measure for schools to look at. So, you know, I fired off as many DMs as I could to as many coaches as I could. And it was pretty cool to see all these coaches hitting me back and like, oh, yeah, like we may not have money for you, but like we want you to come here. Um, and that's just how it is with track. You know, there's not as many scholarships. Mm -hmm. But then I'd be like, OK, cool. I'd send my transcripts over. They'd be like, sorry, man, like, we can't take you. And I was like, ah, mm. dang. Um, so then when it came to ASU. They were actually the first school I reached out to and probably the last school to get back to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, it was between ASU, Nebraska, Long Beach State, or K-State. Mm -hmm. And Arizona, I could just feel that I was wanted here for the person that I was, for the overall just human being that I was on top of my athletic abilities. So John Ellis, he was my coach last year, we have a new coach now. Mm -hmm. He's the reason I'm here. He's the reason I'm at ASU. He took a chance on me. He took a shot on me. And I did everything mm -hmm. I could to, you know, do right by him. And last year, I can say I did that. So that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I know you're talking to me a little bit before and you said like you took a little bit of time off to be just a student. Um, tell me more about that. Like, like what made you take time off? Yeah, the main thing that made me take time off was COVID. So it wasn't necessarily by choice. Mm -hmm. And then once the first semester had ended my junior year, we were doing those practices in groups, wearing masks. And then my grades and stuff like that were just, you know, kind of not the best. So I needed to really focus on that. I needed mm -hmm. to live that role of being a student athlete. And as cheesy as it is, as corny as it is, the student <laughs> part comes first. It's true. So um, I just needed to step back and refocus on that. And I didn't want to stop doing track, but mm -hmm. it wasn't my plan, man. Like it was, it was God. So a lot of that in the, I think it was 678 days that I took off track. It was, it was sort of a way for me to reflect on myself, to kind of tap into my like inner being and just kind of realize like what I have, the potential I have. So, yeah. Dang, that's, that's crazy. So um, I guess like, how did, uh, like when you, once you took like the 600 and I think you said 78 days off, how did you transition back into the sport? Cause that's like a pretty long time off. So I know for myself, like we were talking a little bit about before the podcast, I took 10 months off of swimming and the transition, it, it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was like super hard, but it was still like pretty challenging to kind of get back into shape and to like figure my technique, uh, technique out again and stuff. How, how did that transition look for you? Like, was it pretty smooth or was it pretty like rough at the start? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, like it was, it was rough. It was, it was mm -hmm. hard. Like I was in the portal, so I wasn't practicing with CU or anything. And then I ended up moving back to my hometown in Pueblo. 
So I was still there and I was still training, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't training the way that I knew I needed to be. Mm-hmm. So when I got to ASU, I was actually like 215, 220 pounds. Mm. So that transition of getting from, you know, a bulky shape in shape to a lean high jumper, it was mm-hmm. tough. Uh, it made me realize that like, okay, like if you want to, I, I have to do everything in my, <laughs> in my power to not take that much time off again, because it's hard. Mm-hmm. So that was tough, but it was rewarding to see the work that I put in like my first semester in my training pay off because my first track meet last year, I came out and I jumped to PR. I went 2.15 meters, which was seven and three, seven and a half inches there. It's hard with track the way to measure. So mm. uh, the transition was difficult and it was tough, but I just had to keep making myself realize why I'm doing it and like what the bigger purpose was. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you feel like is your purpose? Like, like in, uh, in track or, um, yeah, like what, what would you say is like your reason for coming back and like your purpose? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing in my mind is to help lead others to mm-hmm. not have to necessarily go what I did to go through what I did. Um, like I want to help others. I want to lead others not only to succeed in their sport, to succeed outside of school and their social settings, but mainly just to lead people to Christ. Like that's my sole purpose on track and field. It's like, I know who I am. I know the voice I have. I know that the way I can quote unquote influence people because they listen to me. So that on top of me pursuing my goals to go to the Olympics is, is the main reason because I had to walk on ASU because of my, my grades last year. And I battled, 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 battled to get put on scholarship this year, because if I didn't, I was ready to drop out of college. I wasn't going to, I wasn't even going to finish my degree. I was going to be done with school, be done with track and just start my career, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I think it was about two or three weeks before school started. I got a call from my head coach saying, Hey, we have a, we have a scholarship for you. And man, I screamed, started running. (laughs) I I was so excited. So with that, it was like, okay, like I'm back. I'm here. What can I do to be better than I was last year? Mm -hmm. And, from what I have came to realize is it's really nothing directly related to my athletic performance. It's directly related to me being a leader and me being, you know, that positive image for my teammates, for my school, for my division, for the NCAA and everything else. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's really inspiring. That's really cool that, um, that you had that realization and and that, you know, kind of like what you're, purpose and your mission is that's really awesome thank you man so i kind of want to touch more on like the the sport itself um for a little bit of like jumping so i know one thing that's pretty similar in a lot of sports is staying relaxed is like really important like if you want to produce a lot of power um especially like for sprints and stuff like that you want to stay relaxed and i know um 
I mean, I, I'm guessing it's probably kind of similar in jumping. I don't know like the mechanics of jumping very well, but I'm guessing like you need to stay, like you don't want to be super locked up because then it's going to take away from like the explosiveness of it. Um, how do you stay relaxed? Like when you do your jumping? Um, I take my breath work very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, that is one of the things that I kind of rely on in a sense, because like with track, yeah, you have to be relaxed. You can't be tight because like the elasticity is what I like to call it of your muscles is restricted. And I think swimming and high jumping at least share that similarity because like you, your guys start into the pool. You got to yeah. all that power. Um, but it's really just focusing on my breath work and trying to stay as calm as I can. And I am very dependent on prayer as well. Mm. Uh, so I, so I use that, but it's, it's really just like my deep breathing. Um, I stretch as much as I can to just keep myself loose in that aspect and just kind of like realizing where I am at and that I am meant to be here kind of helps me stay loose in that sense where I'm not nervous. I'm not getting super tight and stressed out because I mean, I've seen that happen to me in meets before and I end up not clearing a bar. So mm -hmm. it's, it's important. It's hard. It's still something that I am working on because I mean, it's difficult. Track and field is hard. You're independent of just yourself. You have nobody else to really rely on. Mm -hmm. just like swimming, which I think that's what that's why I kind of I I have a lot of respect for swimmers because I see like the parallels in our sport yeah very similar yeah do you uh like what touch more a little bit on your breath work like do you do a like a certain breathing pattern or is it just like I just you just take a bunch of deep breaths or like what what do you do for like yeah. your breath work yeah, so it originally started, I started doing this routine. It's called Wim Hof breathing. I, don't I was going to ask if that's what it was. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I love Wim Hof. He's awesome. Yeah, so I, uh, I like to do that like before meet, the night before, morning of, just to kind of help me get my mind right and get in the mm -hmm. right mindset. Um, but like when I'm on the field, I can't necessarily be laying down doing that technique because mm -hmm. it might look a little weird. So I just try to focus on just breathing in for five seconds and then letting it out for five seconds. And I'd like to hold that um, in between. And I'd say that's really about it just because there's only so much you can do in that public setting. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to think um, like when I'm breathing in the good, breathing out the bad. And it's like, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about how long I'm breathing in for that way I'm not focused on other things I'm kind of just dialing my mind in on what I want it to be dialed in and that helps translate to my performance mm -hmm. yeah I know one thing that I do in my swimming that's kind of similar to what you talk about with your breathing is I I've done the Wim Hof method a lot like several times not like right before a race as well like I'm not going to sit there behind the block on the ground you know doing the <laughs> yeah. Wim Hof method <laughs> right but um but what I do behind the block a lot of times is just take like a bunch, probably like 20 to 30 deep breaths, just like, like all the way in and then just like let, as Wim Hof says, just letting go. And then I'll usually feel like a little bit tingly and stuff like that. But in my 50 free, um, it's like one of those events where you don't breathe the whole race because it's just down and back. And it really helps me a lot like that. I, I can, without doing that, I probably 
can I can do it in like one breath like I have to breathe once but when I do the a bunch of breathing before and like I've yeah I feel like the tingliness and like I feel ready to go um I just don't even feel the urge to breathe I can just crank it out when I finish I'm like I, I still got some breath left what the heck I mean it, it, it's helped me a lot breath work has definitely been an important thing for me as well and not only just for that aspect but like you're saying to kind of get your mind in a good state and keep it clear because I, I feel like when I've done the Wim Hof method it will one with the breathing and then also with like the ice baths and cold showers and stuff. That's when my mind has just been like so clear. Like I have like no thought. It just feels like blank. It's actually really nice. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Cause I, I am a big advocate for cold showers in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. But it helps cold showers. If you can get your body used to that temperature it can translate into the fact that you can handle your stress and your emotions better as well. And like, it all ties in with breath work. And I take like my yoga and my stretching very seriously too. Like it's one thing that I am also very dependent on. Like, for example, like I have oh, my, yeah. my roller and stuff right there. So it's like, I, I just try to train that as much or if not more than I train on the track itself. Mm -hmm. that's awesome what, what are some other things like uh on the mental side like what are, what are the things you think you do the best on the mental side for like your sport for my sport i'm able to handle my emotions very well and always kind of just never let anybody see myself being down on myself mm -hmm. or you know being frustrated because i understand the effect that that can have not only on yourself but other people and when it comes to me being a leader and because I'm the captain of the track team for the jump squad and mm -hmm. I mean the team itself so I, I understand that I'm in a position not necessarily of power but of authority that people are looking up to so I have to already set that example mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's awesome that's definitely true it's it's important to that's one thing that I feel like I did or I tried my best to because I was also uh, like a leader and like a team captain on my team um, and swimming my last year of college. And the only thing that I feel like I was actually, do you know Grant House? Yeah, Grant's my boy, man. Yeah, so I, I was actually uh, texting him about this. He sent me a podcast to listen to the other day and, and, and I was listening to it uh, last night. And one thing they talked about is like, um, you know, like when you're a leader, the one thing that I feel like I didn't do as well that I should have done was to really build the emotional connection with your team. So that way you have like some kind of like positive influence on them. They're more likely to listen to you. Cause for me, whenever I was a uh, team captain, <laughs> a lot of people, in my team, I didn't go to like a high level um, like college program. Like it wasn't like D one or anything. It was NAI division. And a lot of the people there don't take it like quite as seriously as I did. It was more just like, I'm doing it for the scholarship. Um, that's like, I'll go to practice cause I have to, but I'm not always going to give a hundred percent where me, like I was in it to win it like every time. And I let people know, like if people were slacking, like I was young, like, come on, let's go. We're like, yeah. you're like, I'm making sure people are doing it right. And, and it got to the point where like, almost like my entire team actually hated me just and and I mean, I really didn't care because like, I was just really focused on myself, but, and I, and I wanted the team to do good, which is why I was so hard on everybody, especially that first semester. But um, I just didn't have that emotional connection with a lot of them because 
for me, I was trying to surround myself with like like-minded people, um, people that like really wanted to get better and stuff. And I felt like there wasn't too many of those people on my team at the time. And so I, because I, I wasn't like a guy to go out and party and things like that. And a lot of them like to go out and like party on weekends and things like that. And I was trying to stay just like really focused, especially like in season, like I'm, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Like I don't drink, smoke, nothing like that. And so it was really hard for me to, to relate to my teammates. And then whenever I was like calling them out and stuff, I would never get like the best response for it. So, and then sometimes they didn't listen to me and then I would just keep like, kind of like pestering them into like doing it properly. <laughs> No, man, I, I get that. And because it, it's hard to be in a position. And man, I respect you for that. NAIA, like that, that's a grind. I got recruited for basketball to a couple NAIA schools. I don't know if you've heard of Concordia or oh, Concordia. Yeah. Yeah, I know Concordia. And then Nebraska Wesleyan. But uh, it, it is important to have that emotional connections with your teammates or your peers, whoever it is that you're leading. Otherwise, you don't have that connection, that ethos to really be able to get your message or your point across, which you wouldn't think it'd be hard for some people to get that point of, hey, I'm on you, I'm on you because I see the potential you have and I want you to achieve it. Um, and they kind of just wave you off. They're like, oh, like you don't you don't know any better. Like I'm doing this for me, like mm -hmm. nothing else. And that's one thing that I kind of have struggled with this year in the sense of, and I'm getting better about it, but I am one of two guys on the jumps team. And the other guy is a, uh, he's a freshman. Rest of my teammates are women and mm. I love them to death. They are my sisters. Like I would go to war for them, but trying to motivate them in the right way is it's a task. And it's for sure. Thankfully, Last year, I was able to kind of lay that groundwork and lay that foundation of establishing a solid, um, you know, real relationship with them before I was put into this position of leadership. So I get it, especially when you don't go out and party because I don't go out and party. I don't go out and drink. I don't I don't do any of that stuff. I stay to myself because I, I just know what I need to do to succeed. So I don't, I don't have that connection with my teammates and my peers that some others may not, but I think that's good because as a leader, you shouldn't be doing the same things as mm -hmm. the people you're motivating necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's just important to consider that. And like you said, you wanted to train with like-minded people, people that wanted it as bad as you did. And I do too. Um, but I think a lot of the reason why we are put into situations like this is because the people that think the way that we do and have that same drive and hunger, they don't really need to be led. The people that need to be led and that need to have a captain or somebody leading the charge is somebody of complete opposite of them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, That's true. Like to get biblical on you right quick, like Jesus was hanging with prostitutes drunks all these he wasn't he wasn't with the priest or whatever so it's like yeah i have always kind of been like that in the sense of the people i hang out with or hung out with weren't always the best um it upset people my parents my coaches of like hey, what are you doing hanging out with these people blah 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 
And granted, at that point in time, there was some stuff that I was doing with them that I shouldn't have been doing. But now I'm able to look back and reflect on it and realize that those are the type of people I'm meant to be with. Um, mm -hmm. The people that are struggling, the people that need to be led, not mm -hmm. the people that want to be on the highest platform that I want to be on. So mm -hmm. I, I think that does pose a learning curve in it. So I, I got you. Man. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's a really good example. I, I actually didn't even think about that. But that when you, when you use that example with like Jesus and hanging out with like all like the prostitutes and, and like the other so called like bad people, um, wherever you want to classify them as. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Thank you for sharing that example. I, I like that. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, what, what are some habits like outside of um, just like track itself, like that you do that you feel like has been helping you a lot in jumping? Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest things is my journaling. It's really kind of helped me get a lot of the thoughts or ideas that I have that I believe could help improve my jumping. It brings mm -hmm. them to light. Um, and I try to do it all the time. I do a lot of visualization um, mm -hmm. at night during the day. And I would say the visualization part is probably the biggest habit outside of like the actual sport itself that impacts my jumping in the way of everybody's heard the phrase, if you see it, you can mm -hmm. believe it. So being able to put myself in the perspective of myself on the track uh, and clearing these bars just helps with my motivation within myself because like your subconscious, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily understand that you can train your subconscious just like you train your muscles. And one of the ways that I do that is just by visualization, journaling, meditating, praying. I would say those are my biggest habits. That's awesome. Yeah, I I'm really uh, passionate about visualization. That's like one of the things I'm like the biggest advocate in the world on because I know like what it's done for me and I've heard countless stories. I mean, Michael Phelps, he's like the greatest example that I can think of a visualization about. There's there's a story, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was at the, um, I think it was 2008 Olympics and the 200 butterfly, he, so he like dove in the water and his goggles completely filled up with water, like right off the start. And luckily he'd been, he'd trained so well, like he knew how many strokes he'd had to do to get to like each wall and like how many kicks to do underwater. And, and like he'd visualized every single situation, like even uh, Bob Bowman, like I know he's the coach at ASU. I guess there's stories of like him even like purposely breaking Michael Phelps goggles before practice or something. And then like him having to swim the whole practice without it or something. So he was like so prepared mentally for every situation. And when that event happened where his goggles filled up with water and he couldn't see anything, he just relied on his training and like the visualization and like he knew what he had to do, his, his race plan. And he ended up actually still breaking the world record and getting gold without even pretty much being able to see the whole race, which is insane. And it, uh, it's funny because he finishes and he's like really pissed off, even though he broke the record, but it's because <laughs> he didn't go the time he wanted to. He wanted to go, I think it was under, I forget. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember what the time was that he was trying to go under. I think it was like a 149 or something. I, I, that might be completely wrong, but yeah, he just barely missed like going under like whatever, like the second mark was. And he was like, gosh, dang it. Like really upset, but it's just like a really awesome story. Yeah, no, that, oh, sorry about that. 
Um, that, no, that is a crazy story. And like, that's why I think it's important to visualize and just to Engine. like. My apologies. Um, <laughs> uh, you, because like you don't know what's going to happen on competition day. Like, mm -hmm. so you have to be able to prepare yourself and train yourself for every outcome possible. And a lot of the times it's like what affects you the most is stuff that you don't practice every day. It's mm -hmm. little stuff like that. Like having your goggles get broken or one of your spikes falling out of your shoe.
I feel like there's been a norm in society today where it's kind of looked down upon to talk about yourself in that way. It's more normalized to talk down about yourself, to talk down yeah. about other people. But it's it comes back to where I talk about training like your subconscious. It's like, that's what I believe is the right way to do it. It's like, how else are you going to train yourself to think that you're the best or that you can obtain the best if you aren't constantly saying it, if you aren't talking about it and some people mm -hmm. are going to think you're weird some people are going to think you're crazy but that's good that's exactly what you i want at least mm -hmm. because people that are labeled crazy are never doing average people things you know exactly. they're always doing something extraordinary and a lot of that has to do with their self-confidence i was I was actually pretty excited that this past weekend when I was in Seattle for a track meet, one of my friends came up to me and he was like, what gives you this confidence? He was like, I see the way you carry yourself. I see the way you act and you just don't have a care in the world. And number one, it's God. But number two, it's the fact that I don't talk down on myself. I don't think negative thoughts about myself or about anyone in that matter because it's draining it's time consuming i'm pretty sure there's a saying or something along the lines that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile yeah and i think that's somewhat similar to the way you think about yourself but it's just a lot harder to do that it's a lot easier to be comfortable in negative thinking about yourself so yeah. It just takes a lot of time and training and consistency in that thought to kind of get to that championship caliber level like Mike Tyson is at. Mm -hmm. And people are going to think you're crazy. But if you bite somebody's ear off, you might be. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, I, I know another thing that he says, which is right in line with what you're talking about, is like uh, he, he said that he never thinks like a negative thought about himself now like because he said that your brain like even if you're just joking he's like he's like my trainer always told me to never think anything negative about myself because your mind doesn't know if you're joking or not it just takes everything you say and think so literally um so even if you are like just joking around your mind doesn't know that so he says everything i say um it has to be like beautiful things about myself and he i think he also says something like when you um to counteract like a negative thought you have to say like seven like positive thoughts or something to almost like equal out like the balance or like to balance it out pretty much like it's crazy how the negative weighs so much more in our minds than a positive thing does yeah that's that's actually crazy i've not i haven't heard that last part what you said about you having to say seven things that's mm -hmm. that's that's really cool and i'm sure that's very true because I can allow a negative thought to carry on so much longer in my day than a positive thought does. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Cause like, um, yeah, negative thoughts, I feel like they, it's a lot easier for them to just to dwell on them and not to like, let them go. Like if, if something good happens in your day, like you're going to be excited and stuff, but if something like terrible happens in your day, like that thing can affect you for like multiple days if you really let it. So it, it's like, it's crazy how much it, it really, uh, can weigh on you yeah and like it comes into the like I, I think what also relates to that is how as athletes we're kind of trained to have a short memory mm -hmm. you know okay you lost move on like in your thoughts like people kind of need to do the same I think and it's hard but 
it's it's I, I just can't emphasize the importance of positive thinking and what it can do because in the past year that's something I've dedicated myself to is kind of just getting out of the anxiety and the stress and the depression that I had kind of at Boulder um and coming here I was like okay new opportunity new chance to kind of establish myself to other people but also to create another identity mm-hmm. for myself and a lot of that creation came from thinking those positive thoughts all the time talking loud and proud to practice to my teammates and them giving me weird looks and going <laughs> like really Jeremy and the more I do it now they're more just like okay like yeah that's like that's Jeremy like he's he's gonna do whatever he says like mm-hmm. <laughs> like people people will start to believe what you're saying too because you start believing it yourself exactly that's so true I know uh actually not when I did the podcast with Riggs um like I think it was last week uh well, that was one thing that he was really big on as well he's ta- he talked a lot about just being more positive and thinking positive thoughts have just helped him so much with his golfing even yeah, I feel like especially in golfing too, that's something that I'm sure he has a better handle on it than I do because golf's a hard sport. Yeah. Um, track's a hard sport. So that's that's what I love about athletes that aren't necessarily on a team, but they're independent of themselves, but their team has that dependence on them when it comes to like conference matches and stuff like that is you have to learn and you have to adapt to whatever conditions you are put in by yourself. You can have as much input, coaching, and teaching as you want, but when it comes down to it, when you're in the middle of that tournament, that race, that jump, nobody else can decide what happens besides you. Right. The importance of your mind can influence how that day goes. Definitely. Does, is there any like uh, quotes, like I feel like one, one common uh, thing between all the ASU people that I've interviewed so far is their coaches always have some quote or some motto that they always say that has really resonated with them. Is there one um, that something that your coaches say that's kind of like that? Um, honestly, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't think of anything at the moment right now. Um, we just got a new coach this year, so I mean oh, yeah. the familiarity and the comfortability of it is still kind kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. But at least not right now. I kind of train on my own with just like me and him because I'm a high jumper, and then everybody else is long and triple. Mm. But I can't. No, nah, man, I can't think of anything besides like O2V, like on Oh, on V too. Nice. <laughs> That's funny. But um, what are what do you feel like makes you perform at your best? Um, I feel like what makes me perform at my best is when I have my peers and my colleagues around me performing at their best. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's kind of one of the ways that I'm able to get motivation is when I see the other people that I train day in and day out with, you know them succeeding and then i'm like mm-hmm. okay like i can celebrate them i can do good for them and now i can kind of exit myself out of that and solely focus on myself mm-hmm. Be- because like i said i'm with all girls so mm-hmm. i i feel for them i have i'm an empath you know it's like 
I want to be there for them. If they aren't succeeding, if they aren't reaching the marks that they want, it can, it has the potential to throw me off of how good I want to compete. I don't think it really does, but I'm able to compete at my best when I get my practices right and other people mm-hmm. know I'm succeeding for sure. Definitely. What, what would you say is like your biggest competitive advantage? Um, I would say my biggest competitive advantage is the hunger that I have. Um, mm-hmm. All the experiences that I've been through and that I have lived through is really what pushes me and allows me to have that edge over other people, um, as well as my height. Um, it, <laughs> it, it helps out a lot in the high jump. I'm six foot seven. Oh, so, dang. You don't yeah. look like that on camera right now, but I guess it's just camera. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Nah. Yeah. I, um, do you feel like when you took that time off for COVID, that really like reignited your hunger for the sport? Yeah, it, it didn't right away. I would say a couple months before I actually transferred to ASU and I saw that, okay, I'm not who I am or who I think I am, at least in the eyes of these other schools. So I have to go out and I have to prove myself. And I just had to get to a school at that point. Mm -hmm. But I I would definitely say that time off, I wasted some of it for sure. But because of that, I'm even hungrier right now than I was Mm -hmm. a year ago. It's awesome. So, uh, so one one thing that I like to do at the kind of like wrapping up every podcast is I have like some speed questions that I ask. Uh, They're not actually like, they don't have to like speedy, but I just call them speed questions. Um, But some of them take a little bit of thought. You'll see what I mean in a sec, but Uh, first question that I always ask is, what is the best piece of advice that you've got that's impacted you the most? To believe in yourself as much as you believe in others. It's mm, awesome. And then what is your favorite quote and why? Oh, my favorite quote. To do something you've never done. Or, no, no, no. Are you talking about the one where it's like, uh, do it others won't so that we can do it others can't? Is that the one you're thinking of? No, I was thinking of something different. But I would say my favorite quote is, it's a great day to have a great day. Heck yeah, definitely is. And then what book do you recommend that everyone should read? The Power of Ambition. Oh, it's, that sounds good. I haven't heard of that one. What, what is, uh, who's that by? It's a... Uh... It's by Jim. Oh, Rohn. Jim Rohn. I know him. Oh, he's he's really good. Yeah. This is this is the only book I've read by him. But this this book, it's funny because like the more I become like self aware and become in tune with really who I am, I'm able to look back and kind of pinpoint moments in my life where something sparked, something clicked, and reading and finishing that book was was one of the moments and. I've kind of just been on a roll since, so I recommend everybody read it. That's awesome. 
And then uh, is there anything that you want to leave it like every, all the listeners with like before um, we finish up the podcast or anything that I didn't touch on that you want to speak about? Yeah, I would just say to everybody that's listening to this, um, bet on yourself. I, I think a lot of people have self-doubt and don't understand the significance of betting on yourself truly is and that when you do that, people are going to look at you different. People are going to think you're crazy, but just eliminate, eliminate those distractions and tune out the noise and watch, watch the results come in. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's funny, actually, I'm actually posting a, a reel today on uh, my Instagram about self-doubt. It's funny how you mentioned that, but that, yeah, that's right on. I, I love that. And do you have any uh, shout outs or call outs or um, anything like that? Uh, I'd say shout out Reese Johnson for putting me in touch with Andrew here. Um, and sh- no, I'd, I'd say that's, that's about it. I can't think of too many people right now. <laughs> no worries. And then where can people find you if they want to connect or like keep up with your journey? Uh, yeah, the best way to reach me is going to be my Instagram. It's just jeremy.cody. Um, I'm posting a lot more on that. I'm becoming active on that a lot more. My outdoor season starts in about three weeks. So um, it's, there's going to be some exciting things happening here soon. Awesome. Sounds good. I'll put the link to that um, in the description so people can find you a little bit easier as well. Ooh. But yeah, Jeremy, thanks again for hopping on, man. It was a lot of fun talking with you and definitely got some good nuggets. Sweet, Andrew. Yeah, man, I had a great time talking on this podcast. Um, seriously, thank you. Thank you for having me on.